due was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on masks to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardships. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, become imitators of God's church in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone and their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, friends. This is a really good day. My first memories of Evan were playing with him in the playground at school when we were just in infant school, really. We pretended to be pandas. We were warrior pandas fighting invisible enemies. And now look what we're doing. Um, it really is wonderful to watch somebody, um, their life, watch them grow and develop. And so Evan has been my very good friend right through primary school and then into high school. I've seen him go to university, to Bible college, and now being inducted as the pastor of Tari Baptist. This is a really great day. Um, the, the subject of our message this morning is the Christian minister and Christian ministry. And we'll be looking at that passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. But before we do that, I'll pray. Uh, wonderful Father, we give you thanks because you are a speaking God. You are not a silent God, but a speaking God. And we thank you uh, so very much that we have your words accessible to us in the Bible. 
We ask, Father, by your Holy Spirit that you would speak to us this morning, that you would open our hearts and make us receptive to hear the message that you have for us. And this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, to begin thinking about the subject of Christian ministry, of the Christian minister, I'd like to tell you a story, a short story, from my latter adolescence. Now, on Saturday night, the 24th of April of the year 1999, when I was still at school, there was a phone call at our family home in West Pennant Hills, in the, the Hills District of Sydney, and it was the son of the senior pastor, Marcus. He rang and he spoke briefly to my father before my father passed the phone to me. It was a Saturday night. Marcus was going to the football with his friend Jared, also a youth group leader, and they asked me if I would like to go along too. Did I want to go to the football with Marcus and Jared? It was practically the best thing that I could have possibly imagined. I thought the youth group leaders were so cool. They were doing something socially. It wasn't a youth group night, and they were asking me to come along and participate with them. Now, Marcus, I was a mad Manly fan, but Marcus was a really mad Manly fan. A few years before, he had got his parents' lawnmower and put the setting on the lowest setting, and as Manly were preparing for one of the grand finals that they made, he mowed the word Manly into his parents' front lawn. <laughs> Everybody knew how much Marcus loved Manly. That night, Marcus and Jared took me to the football, and that memory stays with me today. I can still remember it clearly as anything. Now, maybe those youth leaders don't know it. They've since moved on. Maybe those youth leaders, Marcus and Jared, don't know it. But participating in a church, I, and I grew up in the church, participating and belonging to a church, in church ministries, associating and um, spending time with those youth leaders, really made a profound mark on my life. And so I wonder this morning, as you look back to your own experience of belonging to a church, I wonder which people really stand out to you. What do you think makes a good church leader? Who has set you an example in ministry that you would like to follow or that you are following? Now, the passage... We'll be looking at these questions and keeping in mind that passage that was read this morning. Now, that passage has a backstory, and that is that Paul was an apostle of Jesus to the non-Jewish non world, to the Gentile world, and he went on a number of missionary journeys. And on his second missionary journey, and we're talking probably about 50 years after the birth of Jesus, on that second missionary journey, Paul went to a place called Philippi. And this, is, this story is told for us in Acts chapter 16. We all know it really well. Paul was flogged in Philippi. He was put in jail in the stocks. And he was singing hymns at midnight when there was a great earthquake. And as a result of the things that happened after that, the jailer gave his life to Jesus. And then Paul and Silas were ejected from the city. From Philippi, they went to Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, Paul and Silas arrived. They preached. They had a number three, it says, three successful Sabbaths preaching in the synagogue before the Jews raised up an angry mob. And Paul and Silas were then kicked out also of Thessalonica. And Paul was never able, as far as we know, to return to Thessalonica, though he wanted to. 
what we do have is a letter written from Paul to the Thessalonians. In the first part of that letter to the Thessalonians, Paul remembers, he describes for them how they came to know Jesus. Paul describes to the Thessalonians the way that the gospel came on them in power and the way that the Thessalonians turned from the false worship of idols to worship the true God, how they persevered in severe suffering and how they waited patiently for Jesus to come. And now, in this second chapter, Paul turns his attention to his own ministry. Now, you will have noticed in that passage, the words we, our, us are used over and over again. I counted nearly 30 references to those words in just 16 verses. In this passage, Paul is telling the story of how he ministered to the Thessalonians, of how he preached to the Thessalonians, and of how he lived in the company of the Thessalonians for that brief time that he was with them. Now, we suspect what is happening in this letter in part is that Paul is writing to defend um, his name. There was probably people in Thessalonica who were trying actively to discredit Paul's conduct and his ministry. Paul wasn't there to defend himself. The only thing that he could do was to write a letter and remind the Thessalonians about his conduct. We see in the letter that the only thing that Paul needs to say in his own defense is to remind them of the way that he behaved when he was with them. The Thessalon- Paul left the Thessalonians an example that they could follow. And really, it's an example that we also can follow in Christian ministry. There's probably no other passage in the whole of the New Testament that deals in such an extended way with the life of the minister and Christian ministry. And so this morning, really quickly, I would like to take four principles for Christian ministry from the example of Paul to the Thessalonians. Okay, the first principle is this. The first principle that we can take from Paul's ministry is to preach the gospel without personal agendas. To preach the gospel without personal agendas. Now, Paul is telling the Thessalonians, we see this in the first seven verses, and you'll see there that Paul is saying to them, my ministry was not a failure. It might seem because I was flogged in Philippi, I was put in the stocks and then kicked out, It might seem that my ministry was a failure. It might seem that we came straight to Thessalonica. I was only able to preach three times in the synagogue. And then in Thessalonica, they kicked me out too. It might seem on the surface to be a failure, but it was not. The very existence of a church in Thessalonica, albeit a small one, indicates that Paul's ministry was not a failure. Paul didn't have false motives here. He had true motives. Paul is saying, I was not preaching to get people to like me. I was not preaching so that great crowds of people would follow me and I could feel successful about my ministry. I was not preaching to make money. Paul is saying, I was preaching the gospel because God called me to do it. Paul had a fervent belief that it was God who would test his heart and he was not in any way following his own personal agendas. Paul preached to honour God and that was what mattered to him. Paul was not trying to be popular. Everywhere he went, angry mobs and civil authorities were waiting for him. Paul was not trying to get rich. He didn't take the Thessalonians' money, even though as an apostle he was entitled to some support um, for his Christian ministry. Paul did not flatter the Thessalonians with false compliments. He didn't manipulate them. He didn't try and trick them into believing and becoming followers of Jesus. Rather, Paul preached faithfully the message of the gospel. 
it was a message that must have seemed very strange to the people of Thessalonica that there was a Jewish carpenter who was actually the son of God, that he died on the cross and rose again after three days, and then he ascended to heaven, but he won't stay in heaven. He was going to come back and judge all people, and that to be right with God, the only one true God, you had to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. Paul faithfully preached the gospel. Paul showed himself to be faithful to God, and his priority was to preach the gospel. Now, these words are a great challenge to, to those of us who are serving in ministry. And I say serving in ministry either in a paid ministry role like Evan or in volunteer ministry. There's a great temptation for us to equate numbers with ministry success. We feel affirmed, don't we, when we hold ministry activities and see lots of people present. When we describe our ministries to people, even if they're small, we really want to be able to attach the word growing to what we're doing. Isn't it true sometimes that secretly inside we do feel disappointed when there's a ministry activity or an event at church and there's just not that many people there? Isn't it true that sometimes in the darkest places of our heart, we secretly hope that when we're serving in a ministry, people might notice what we're doing? Isn't it true that sometimes when we are in ministry, we are tempted to behave or say something in a way that's kind of unnatural for us because we really want people to like us? All of these are examples of losing focus on the gospel and allowing personal agendas to influence our conduct in ministry. Paul challenges us to keep the gospel as our priority. He challenges us to keep the main thing the main thing. The second principle that we can take from Paul's ministry, we see in the second half of verses, verse 7 through to verse 9, and that is to pastor people with love. Paul pastored people with love. We see that Paul's priority was certainly to preach the gospel, but he never treated people like they were numbers in a spreadsheet. He never treated his converts as if they were just names to put in a letter and send back to encourage the supporting churches back home. Paul had a genuine, a real affection for the Thessalonians. He can say to them that he loved them so much he was delighted not just to share the gospel with them, which was the very words of life. He was delighted even to share his whole life with them. Paul compares his love for the Thessalonians to the love that a mother has for her children. Now we know from observation that the love that a mother has for her young children is very strong. What sacrifices will a mother not make for the well-being of her children? Paul really loved the Thessalonians and it was with a whole of life practical love. Now, Paul could have asked the Thessalonians to cover his costs while he was with them. That would have been, he was perfectly entitled to do that. He was a recognised apostle of Jesus. He was a long way from home, right in the middle of a missionary journey. The other apostles accepted offerings to sustain them in ministry. But in this case, we see that Paul preferred to work with his own hands. Paul preferred to work and earn his own income. It says there that Paul labored night and day so that he wouldn't be a burden on the Thessalonians. Paul sacrificed himself 
working night and day to spare the Thessalonians the difficulty and the expense of also having to put him up. Paul was willing to endure discomfort so that the Thessalonians might experience blessing. And so we see that the Thessalonians were not just a ministry project to Paul. Paul pastored them tenderly, elevating their needs above his own in a costly way. Back in December, I preached, I was preaching at another church, and after I preached there, I got speaking with a, with a guy, I suspect he would probably have been about 70 years old, and we were discussing together that the role of preaching in pastoral ministry. And he had grown up in the northeastern part of Tasmania on a farm, and this is what he recalled to me. He went to a Methodist church, but the Methodist church was small, probably even the whole denomination was small, and the Methodist churches that were dotted around the area all had to share the one pastor. And so that pastor was not in the congregation every Sunday, and he was spreading his time amongst many people. And my friend was recalling to me that that minister, responsible for various churches, still made the time, he said twice every year, to come and visit the family. Now, those pastoral visits certainly had a spiritual agenda. The minister was coming to check up on the well-being of the family and to check up on their spiritual vitality. But what my friend really remembered from those visits is that the minister would come and play cricket with them. He says he remembers games of cricket with the minister, games of cricket with the kids and the other people around the farm. This pastoral visit had a spiritual purpose, but it involved the sharing of life together. And this is what really stood out to my friend. He's recalling something that probably happened 60 years ago. That pastor almost certainly is now in the presence of the Lord. But his sharing of life with the, the members of those congregations continues to bring blessing today. In ministry, Paul challenges us to love the whole person, not just the part of them that can remember Bible verses, or not just the part of them that is present in organized Christian ministry, but Paul is really encouraging or giving an example for Christian ministers to love the whole person. So we see that the way that we treat people, the way that we minister in God's name, the interest that we take in young lives, those times that we invite people into our house to share meals at our table, the way that we pick up the phone and ring someone when we know that they're having a hard time, or even if they're not, the way that we just pursue or cultivate intentional relationships to see how people are going, the things that we do spontaneously together outside of ministry contexts, the sacrifices that we make to bless others, the memories that we make together, all of these things are vital aspects of loving the whole person. Paul pastored with love for people. He shared his whole life with the Thessalonians. Isn't this a lovely picture of what church life should look like? Isn't, isn't it a wonderful thing to belong to a church, to a gathering of people who are following Jesus? The third principle that we can take from Paul's ministry to the Thessalonians is this, practice what you preach. And we see this in verses 10 to 12. 
Paul reminds the Thessalonians that they know exactly what kind of person Paul was. Paul, when he was with them, behaved in this way. He was holy, righteous, and blameless. And Paul says to the Thessalonians that as a father urges his children on, as a father encourages his children in that tender and kind fatherly way, as a father urges his children on, so Paul also urged the Thessalonians to live lives worthy of the kingdom. Paul encouraged the Thessalonians to live lives worthy of the kingdom. Now we know from experience it's not always easy to live a holy, righteous and blameless life. There are unlimited temptations asking us, encouraging us to compromise. To live a holy and blameless life requires great discipline and commitment. And so we see that the thing that Paul was urging and asking the Thessalonians to do was actually something he was already doing himself. Paul was a man of integrity. He practiced what he preached. Now, that night that I went to the footy with Marcus and Jared to watch Manly and Para, I remember that night very well. It was unusually cold for an April night. It was raining. Manly, it was round eight. Now, I know this because I've, um, I, you can access all kinds of things on the internet. That's how I remember the date. But I, this I remember clearly as anything. Manly had lost the first seven games of the year. It was round eight in the NRL. Manly had zero competition points. And our greatest son, Bob Fulton, had, reti- had resigned mid-season as coach. He had resigned really in, in disappointment and despair, seven straight losses after such a golden run. And really, what was happening is it was coming home that Manly's golden run was over. And so on that cold and rainy night, seven straight losses into the season, I went to the football and there was nearly no one there. There was hardly anyone there. Why was that? Like, Manly had just made three grand finals in a row. It seemed like every second person in Sydney's favourite team was Manly. Where were all the Manly fans? Well, isn't the truth that even the great clubs are largely followed by fair-weather fans? Fair-weather fans have no heart. Fair-weather fans sing enthusiastically when their team is winning. But when their team is losing, they're nowhere to be found. They don't go to the games, they go to the movies. On cold nights when their team is playing, they stay at home and drink tea in bed. What we see here is that Paul was not a fair-weather fan of Jesus. Paul was not a fair-weather fan of Jesus. When things got tough following Jesus, Paul did not go missing. Paul practiced what he preached. Paul had integrity. Paul urged the Thessalonians to live lives worthy of the kingdom. And that is exactly what he was doing by example living a life worthy of the kingdom of God. Billy Graham famously established a ministry habit at the beginning, the very beginning of his ministry. He committed to never being alone with a woman that wasn't his wife. Now, as his ministry developed, he travelled all around the world. He was nearly always in the company of people that thought he was amazing. And so those two things must have um, given great possibility to temptation in his life. But he set a boundary at the very beginning. 
sadly, the Christian church, and I'm just talking about that generally, and I'm not going to say names, but even just in recent, very recent times, some of the very great Christian teachers, some of these people that have written vast numbers of Christian books that have been a great blessing to millions of Christians, it has come out that they were very faithful in preaching the gospel, but they were not nearly so faithful in practicing what they preached. Conduct in ministry matters. The way that we behave in God's name really matters. If you know that you have a weakness, and let's be honest, we all have them, and I'm not just referring here to matters of purity, we all have all kinds of weaknesses, people-pleasing, tempers, work ethics, all kinds of different um, weaknesses can tempt us. If you know you have a weakness in ministry, then I think there's a, a strong encouragement to you this morning from this passage to make a strategy to deal with that weakness. Integrity does not happen by accident. Integrity will not just happen by itself. Integrity in matters of faith and Christian ministry require diligence and discipline. There's a real challenge for us from this passage, from Paul's testimony, that we would also be people who value our own testimonies and practice what we preach. The final principle that we can take from Paul's uh, example to the Thessalonians is this, to persevere in all circumstances. Now, Paul reminds the Thessalonians what happened to Jesus. Jesus was put on the cross by Jews. Paul was traveling around the whole of um, the Roman Empire, large parts of Europe, preaching the message of Jesus. And everywhere he went, Jews opposed the message. They were actively trying to stop him teaching about Jesus. Paul says the Judean Christian churches faced persecution from the Jews where they were. And Paul says that the, Thessal the Thessalonians also were facing persecution from their countrymen. What we can take from this is that in the first century, to be a Christian meant to face persecution. Christians were persecuted. Paul commends the Thessalonians in those final verses for persevering through persecution and suffering. He is thankful that God's word, God's word is at work in their lives even during persecution and difficulty. Now, ministry, full-time ministry, often is very hard. There are all kinds of challenges. It can be lonely. Um, things often do not go how we would like or hope. And Perhaps we can be thankful in Australia that we really haven't yet had to face persecution in really any very serious way, but we would probably all be aware that in the public consciousness now there is an increasing hostility towards Christianity. There is an increasing hostility towards what we might call generally um, biblical family values. In ministry, all of us, and particularly um, Evan and others in full-time ministry, we need to be ready to deal with persecution when it comes. Now, to summarize this morning, we have taken four ministry principles from the example of Paul as he ministered to the Thessalonians. They were to preach the gospel without personal agendas, to pastor people with love, 
to practice what we preach and to persevere in difficulty. Now, I'd just like to finish this morning by addressing some words, particularly some, some words um, to Evan. Now, um, I think there's some slides that I've got there, just a couple. Now, Evan and I have been friends since year one at Pacific Hills Christian School. I started at year one in 1987, and at school we were friends right from the beginning. Within a very short period of time, Evan and I were not permitted to sit next to each other in class. I put that down to Evan's bad influence on my life and his general poor behavior. <laughs> when we had a casual teacher at school, it always offered that opportunity that perhaps she wouldn't know the rules and that Evan and I would be able to sit next to each other in class. But there was nearly always some annoying dobber kid that would put their hand up at the beginning and say, Evan and Nathan can't sit next to each other. Um, with this sermon in mind, can you flick through to the next one? With this sermon in mind, I asked my mum to dig up from the family archives just to see if she could find any photos of Evan and I, and so she was able to um, pull up a couple. Could I get the next one as well? Now, when I was looking at these photos, I really was tempted for a moment to think, well, maybe I could preach the armour of God. I could say young Baptist pastors put on the armour of God together. Can, just the next one, two things. They, those costumes were really involved, and I think my mum was up to about midnight um, helping me make those. Mm. There's a proverb that says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer to a brother than a brother. And I am deeply thankful to God for Evan's friendship. In Evan... I have more of a brother than a friend. I'm deeply thankful for Evan's loyalty, friendship, and generosity over more than 30 years of friendship. And it really is a tremendous blessing in life to have someone over a long period of time with whom you can share the ups and downs of life. I think long-term friendship really is one of God's greatest blessings to people. And I think in churches, it's something that we really ought to be um, actively encouraging and ask, um, offering opportunities for people to cultivate long-term, ongoing friendship. Now, when I think about Evan, there's just, I'd just like to spend a moment um, acknowledging some of the qualities that Evan has that are really useful to his pastoral vocation. Often in life, we don't hear the good things about ourselves, we just hear loudly um, criticisms. But this is a good opportunity to speak some words of encouragement to somebody as they begin a new stage of their life and ministry. And so I would just like to say that Evan, three things, Evan is very relational. Evan and Amy, as a family, are very hospitable. Evan is a person that has time for people. Evan is a person that is able to relate well to a wide range of people. You know, often today, I don't know what it's like in Tari, but often today in Sydney, people don't even know the names of their neighbours. But when Evan and Amy left Borkham Hills, they left their neighbours sobbing in the streets. They really had made a mark on the people with whom they lived. Secondly, Evan, Evan, that makes you a good pastor, that you know your neighbours. Evan is a good conversation partner. Evan is always on for a chat 
Now, Evan is not dogmatic. You can discuss an idea with Evan without the need for him to have to win the argument. He is curious and asks questions. Evan, these are qualities that make you a good pastor. The third thing that I would say is that Evan loves to read the newspaper. He loves to read the newspaper over coffee. I say that that is a strength because the faith that Evan has is not one that belongs holed up in a monastery that has nothing to say to our increasingly complex and changing world. Evan is the kind of pastor that will have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. He is somebody that is earnestly searching what does the Bible have to say to life as we are experiencing it now? What does God's eternal timeless truth what, is, what does that have to say to our lives right now? Evan, this makes you a good pastor. To finish, um, I'd just like to offer a few words of challenge. Today we celebrate the beginning of your ministry in Tari. It's a good day. And today, as your lifetime pal, speaking at your induction... I would like to challenge you to pay careful attention to the words of Paul. Now, I was thinking, like, how many sermons have I heard in a church? Well, I'm nearly 40. I've probably been to church every Sunday since I was zero. Like, you know, if I'd heard 45 sermons a year for 40 years, like, I'm probably around, and then, you know, once you chuck in Bible college and other stuff, like, I might have got some extra ones there. So I'm probably at 1,500 sermons. It's hard to remember them, isn't it? But likely, Evan will remember this sermon. This is an important moment in Evan's life. So, Evan, here's a challenge. Remember the words of Paul. I challenge you this morning to preach the gospel without agendas. In pastoral ministry, it's so easy to become preoccupied with what people think about you. It really is the most natural thing to want people to like you. This morning, Paul says, preach the gospel without agendas. Evan, don't worry what people think about you. Don't even worry what other pastors are doing. Don't look sideways. Don't be timid. Preach the gospel without agendas. Preach without agendas knowing that it is God who tests your heart and that God's fabulous purposes cannot be stopped by anything. Now, a new beginning is like Sorry, I don't, I have, it's on silent. Now, a new beginning, a new beginning is like a life marker. They're important moments in life because they allow us to stop for a minute and look at the things that have gone by in the past and also to hope for the future. I challenge you, Ev, to seize this new beginning and to start with a new habit. Now, I'm not telling you what habit, but habits say a lot about us as people. What are we like as people? Well, really our habits tell people exactly what we're like. Paul was a minister who practiced what he preached. Ev, you know your own strengths and you know your own weaknesses. What habit could you develop at the start of this new ministry to grow in diligence, to grow as a pastor to live with integrity. Living with integrity is in some measure mitigating our weaknesses and uh, our weaknesses. And so I challenge you, Evan, to seize this moment in your life and ministry, 
this new beginning and to grow as a pastor. Paul practiced what he preached. So I ever hope that this passage will stay with you. May you be a pastor who practices what he preaches, who preaches, who preaches without agenda, who pastors in love and who perseveres in difficulty. I'll pray. Wonderful Father, we just give you thanks this morning for Ev. We give you thanks for the wonderful way that you have worked in his life and are continuing to do so. And we pray, Lord, that you would keep using Evan to be a very faithful preacher of your word and a very kind shepherd of your people. May you go with him in this new stage of his life. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.